Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I'm excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon as we close out the new year. And this will be our last installment before um, we hit 2022. And we are closing out with Romans 6, and I'm excited about this particular passage. Now, this is another good one. There's a, there's a lot in here that uh, we've got to unpack, but... I'm very excited to share what some of what I have found in this chapter. There's some, there are a lot of things that rang new to me in Romans chapter six, and I'm excited to dive in with that, um, dive in with you um, on that. And so, without further ado, let us read Romans chapter six, picking up in verse five. And it says, "For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him." In a resurrection like this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience? which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, 
So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? By the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a big passage, and that was certainly a mouthful, but this there's a big concept in here that Paul is trying to get across. And it's hard to break it down into segments because it's also interwoven. And we'll see this with a couple chapters here, but um, Romans 6 is just one of the big chapters. And so we're going to go bite by bite here and pull out as much as we can. And so we'll start with, first, with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. And this verse restates what we discussed in Romans 5. By the atoning death of Christ, who is the last Adam, the perfect Adam, he has united the people for whom he died. We are united to God through that death and through that resurrection. For Christ was in fact God, and because of that, he didn't stay dead. If we are in Christ, we are raised to new life, just as the earthly body of Christ was raised. But being raised to new life, for us, indicates that we are now something different. As Matthew Henry writes, newness of life supposes a newness of heart, for out of the heart are the issues of life. And there is no way to make the stream sweet, but by making the spring so. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Everything we do flows out of the state of our heart. So to be made new in Christ is to be different than we were going in. And when we are made new in Christ, when we are raised to newness of life, as it says in verse 4, to be raised to newness of life, to have something new come out of us, is for something new to be in us. And that, that in us is God through Christ. That he puts the Holy Spirit in us and we are made a new person. And God dwells within us. And because of that, what flows out of that regenerated heart is newness of life. It is pleasing to God. And because we were crucified with Christ, we, we are raised with Christ is what Paul is getting at in verse 5. And he goes on to say, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul uses a lot of death language here. He uses words like the body of sin, dead to sin. And when we talk about being dead to sin, he's talking in terms of the Greek word for death, Thanatos, which was used to refer to a bodily death. But he's referring to the bodily death in regards to the spirit, that there is a spiritual death. Revelation calls it the second death, not in the sense that we die and everything ends, but that we die in the sense that we are cut apart. We are separated eternally from God 
and from all the things that dwell with God, that come from God. Our state before the throne of God was that of Thanatos, of death, that we were dead in the eyes of God. And so our state before that throne of grace was desperate. And the Psalms describe where we are very well. It says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall put their trust in the Lord. That we were waiting for deliverance. Now we were not in a position for God to want us. As it says in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still far off, Christ died for us. We weren't, we weren't looking for God. We weren't in that spot where we're just waiting, waiting around for God. When it says waited patiently, that word waited can also be rendered as hope. I hoped for the Lord. That there is a sense of desperation. That we desperately need God. And while we weren't waiting for God, we were still desperately in need of him. But perhaps the best commentary on sin is Psalm 51. And David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, and thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. We were drowning in sin. We were under the reign of sin. That sin is where we live. We were born in sin. We were conceived in sin. Everything we've ever known is sin. Sin owned us. As it says in the text, we were enslaved to sin. This is where we are outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are drowning in sin. We are stuck in sin. This is where we live, and it is no, it leads nowhere good. But in Christ, as it says in Psalm 130, there is plenteous redemption. And I love that word plenteous. Because it's such a strong word that there is so much redemption. There is so much redemption with God that they use this strong Old English word, plenteous, that it is plentiful. There is much redemption. As a man once said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. And cling to that today, that regardless of where you are, whether you are drowning in the pits of sin or if you are that Christian that is just struggling in sin, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, 
he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ conquered death, which is to say that spiritual death, separation from God by sin. We that are in Christ are brought to a right standing with God because of the works of Christ. We get judged now according to the obedience of Christ, who was perfect and sinless. That his righteousness is counted on our, our end, on our bill. And so our redemption was purchased, and we become beneficiaries of Christ's righteousness. And our redemption was paid in full. It says in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So Christ's redemption that was bestowed upon us, that was not a spur-of-the-moment thing. That is something that was methodically planned out and decreed before the foundations of the world. That before the first Adam was spoken, not Adam, A-D-A-M, but Adam, A-T-O-M, the first molecule, the first subatomic particle, before any of that came into existence, God set forth redemption. And that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around, this idea that God, part of God's plan for the world was the fall. And that God was going to glorify himself by redeeming a fallen creature. But that is how this played out. And this concept of the reign of sin and God's plan before the foundation of the world, these bring into the fray this concept of free will. And it's a highly contested subject in the church, one which will be presented in the next several chapters of Romans. This is something that Paul will continue to flesh out um, in Romans 6 through 9. And Paul has deliberated in past sections on how that redemption of sinners takes place in a human sense, in terms of human practice. But now, Paul is shedding some light on how this works from a theological point of view, from the God side. And so we have to give time to this, this question. I'm not going to give a long philosophical lecture on this. Um, I have very particular views on predestination and election, but I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about here. You know, we can't get from that to this. The text is talking about the reign of sins. We're, we're talking about free will, not predestination. And so there's, there will be time for what the Bible does and doesn't say about predestination, but what comes into play in this chapter is what the Bible says about the will, which is a little different. And virtually every philosopher 
has a theory on free will. Some say it exists, some say it doesn't, but the true answer is one that's in accordance with God's word, the sole source and foundation of all matters of truth, wisdom, and virtue. Jonathan Edwards, a pastor from the 1700s, explains the will in this way, and he says, I observe that the will, without any metaphysics refining, is that by which the mind chooses anything. And to that, some of us would go, well, duh, that, that's not an earth-shattering realization. And he says, the faculty of the will is that power or principle of mind by which it is capable of choosing. An act of the will is the same as an act of choosing or choice. So the will is, de is defined by the inclination that the mind has to choose anything. So what happens when the means by which we make decisions is a darkened mind? Romans 1, as we gave time to several months ago, Paul was talking about how our sin nature has corrupted our thought process. As it says in 121, For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on to say, that as they rejected God, that God allowed their sin to get out of control, and it corrupted their minds. And they ended up fulfilling this laundry list of depravity. Now that became descriptive terms of them, because God's existence is plain to us. But yet we decided to act like he didn't exist. And it goes back to this concept of the sin nature that is transferred to our account in Adam. But because of the sin nature that we each inherited from Adam, our decisions in re regards to the things of God, in regards to righteousness, are involuntary. We are polluted by sin and cannot be good. Our depravity is our nature. And everything we do flows from that. Everything we do fl flows from a place of sin. But God didn't leave us there. The way God revealed himself to us is through conviction. The Holy Spirit shows us our need for God and burdens us to place trust in God and come to him in faith. And we call, and often we call that coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who can think of their conversion story um, probably recall that moment, whether it was at a church or it was at a revival or maybe it was just sitting there reading the Bible one day. And you just suddenly had this burden that you needed Christ. And you couldn't quite explain it. But that's what I'm getting at here. That is when the Holy Spirit shows us our need and he does something in our heart that makes us receptive to the things of God. And Paul um, fleshes this out a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you were 
you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in, boast in the Lord. The reign of sin, when it talks about in Romans about being enslaved to sin, it means that sin owns us. Paul uses slave terminology here to explain that. We need Christ to rescue us from the sin that we are entangled in. And as he states in 1 Corinthians, it wasn't because we were worthy of being rescued. It's not because we were particularly impressive or we could contribute or bring something to the table. It was all for the glory of God. It was all because Christ is so rich in mercy that he lavished it upon us when we were not deserving, when we were yet far away. Christ died for the ungodly. And so when we talk about free will, our free will as it pertains to um, the things of God, as it pertains to righteousness, we don't have free will because our concept of will, of doing things, is in bondage to sin. It is bound to sin. We can't choose against that nature because everything we do flows from it. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. Other translations say, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And that is the outworking of this concept of man's depravity. That outside of Christ, everything we do flows from sin. Everything I do flows from sin if I'm not in Christ. George Whitfield says it this way, Oh, how do you and I wish we had known Jesus sooner? and that we had more of his love. It is a condescending love, meaning it comes lower to us. It is amazing. It is forgiving love. It is dying love. It is exalted and interceding love. And it is glorified love. Methinks when I am talking of the love of Jesus Christ, who loved me before I loved him. He saw us polluted in blood, full of sores, a slave to sin, to death and hell, running to destruction. Then he passed by me, and said unto my soul, Live. He snatched me as a brand plucked from the burning. It was love that saved me. It was all of the free grace of God, and that only. Ultimately, redemption is of God alone. That we were all on this path of sin. That we were running headfirst head to the judgment of God. And we were storing up wrath for that coming day of judgment. But Christ got in the way. And he showed us our need. And he pre presented to us the way of redemption, the way to salvation. Because it is of God alone. As it says in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And what it says create there, that Hebrew word we translate as create is spelled Q-A-L, call. And it means to shape or fashion. But in Hebrew writing, in the Old Testament, that is a word that is reserved for divine activity, for the works of God. It is the same word that appears in Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. When it says in Isaiah, 
that we are the work of his hands, that he is our potter. It is the same Hebrew word each time. And so God takes this, this lump of clay that is not very impressive, that is not particularly clean or appealing, that it is unrighteous and wicked. And by his, his grace and by his love, he takes this, this lump of clay and he, he fashions it into something that is good. And he makes something beautiful out of it. He shaves off the rough edges and he expertly, meticulously crafts it into something beautiful because of his grace. Not because the, the clay was anything special, but the reason it became something so beautiful was all because of the grace of God. And it says in Hebrews 9 that he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ didn't need to outsource to fix what was wrong. He didn't need to um, do any recruitment to deal with sin. When he dealt with our sin, he dealt with our sin completely. And now it says he ever liveth to intercede for us as our high priest. We who are in Christ are dead to sin and alive to God. We are brought to life in Christ. That We are no longer that lump of clay we once were. We are being crafted into that beautiful pot. And that will be completed when we enter into the gates of heaven. And we are stripped away of all of that unrighteousness that remained. Every ounce of sin will be purged from our nature. And we will worship Christ in an environment, on his turf, on his terms, in an environment where sin does not exist. What Paul is describing in Romans 6 is a heart change. What the Holy Spirit has wrought in us, what he has done in us, must and will work itself outwards. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey his passions. Notice all the times that in this passage that Paul uses phrases like dominion or slave or rule or reign. Dominion is a strong word. It's possibly the strongest word that we have. Let therefore sin not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as its instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So, let not sin therefore reign, because you are free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. We are free in Christ, that the, bo the bondage of sin is no longer here. That we have been set free from sin. That we are walking in a new life those of us who are in christ that by what christ has done on the cross we are set free from that old nature the reign of sin is done it's toast that was finished at the cross when jesus said it is finished that is what was finished was this reign of sin that paul is talking about it says in romans 5 that from adam to moses death reigned but now 
Christ reigns. The grace of God reigns. As Sinclair Ferguson writes in his book, By Grace Alone, Why the Grace of God Amazes Me, which is a fantastic little book, I would highly recommend reading it. It's not very long. It's not very deep or scholarly. It's just a, it's just a regular guy talking about why the grace of God makes his heart soar. It's a fantastic book. And he writes, The dominion, see that word? The dominion or reign of sin has been broken through our union with Christ. In Christ, we are no longer the people we once were. We belong to the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We have died to sin. We can no longer live in it. There was a movie that came out in the 90s called The Matrix. Many of you may be familiar with it. And, and The Matrix is a, is a philosophical experiment movie of sorts. It talks about a virtual reality, you know, metaverse kind of thing. About people being trapped in a virtual world. That their mind has been brought into a different dimension, basically. And it's about trying to rescue people from this and bring them to the real world. And there's a spot in the movie where the main character has a choice. He can take the red pill and find out what's true. Or he can take the blue pill and continue in the lie that he's been told his whole life. But once you find out what is true, you cannot go back. Once we take the red pill of redemption, we cannot go back. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have a new will by the power of God. We are forever changed. The reign of sin has been broken by the reign of grace through Christ. I've been reading John Owen lately. John Owen is a writer from the Puritan age. Um, he had a deep love for the church, and he wrote many books to help equip the church to love and serve the Lord Jesus better. He wrote about being made new, about forsaking the world and coming to Christ fully, freely, and willingly. And in his book, Communion with God, he talks about how we interact with um, each person of the Trinity, how they operate in the Bible, and how they work in our lives. And in this book, he makes an astute observation, and he writes, The soul willingly accepts Christ as its only husband, Lord, and Savior. This is called receiving Christ, John 1.12. This does not mean a once and for all act of the will, but a continual receiving of Christ in abiding with him and owning him to be our Lord forever. This is when the soul agrees to take Christ on his terms, for Christ to save him as and how he will, and says, Lord, I would have you and salvation in my own way and my own terms, partly by my own efforts, by my own good works. But now I am willing to receive you and to be saved in your way, merely by grace. I would have according to the dictates of my own mind, yet now I give up myself to be wholly ruled by your spirit. For in you alone I am justified, and in you alone do I glory. In this way, the soul has continual abiding communion 
with Christ in grace. Freedom is described in the Bible not merely as a freedom from, but a freedom to. You and I are set free from the reign of sin so that we would be free to have intimate communion with Christ by his grace. That we, are, we abide with Christ now. That we are a part of his flock. We are, we are adopted into his family. And there is something new that changes everything. And we come down to verse 15 now. So we've been set free from sin and set free to righteousness. And now Paul is drawing this to a close in these last verses. He's reiterating this concept in simpler terms, and he's drawing us to application. And he says, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? If we're forgiven, do we try to be righteous, or do we just keep sinning because we'll be forgiven? Is basically what he's saying. And he says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We'll either be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. We'll either be bound to what is wicked or bound to what is pure. We'll either be found to be in Adam or in Christ. Therefore, come unto Christ willingly and render to God your heart and not just your garments. Joel 2.13, surrender to God your innermost parts and be made whole, inside and out. Jonathan Edwards once said, a true and saving coming to Christ is a coming so as to forsake all for him. That we come to Christ willing to leave the world and have Christ. As Paul said, to live is Christ and death is gain. We are dead to sin. We can no longer go back. It says in Hosea 14, that I will heal their apostasy, and I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. <clears throat> he has healed our apostasy. He has purchased our redemption, and he will love us freely. When we come unto Christ, we come unto Christ to be made something we cannot be on our own. We come unto Christ to be made new, to be made whole, to be forgiven by God, and to be adopted into his family. The reign of sin has been broken by the reign of grace, and now we can dwell in the presence of God. And Paul closes in these last couple of verses, with an ex a final exhortation, a final encouragement to reap the benefits of being in Christ rather than in Adam. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> if you are in the habit of marking in your Bible, I would encourage you to take a pen 
and underline every time in this chapter that Paul says something about being set free from sin. Because I promise you, there are a lot. The fruit of the dominion of sin is death. But the fruit of the dominion of grace is life in Christ. There is redemption with Christ that strips away the broken bits of our shattered lives and makes us new. It makes us into something truly beautiful because of who God is, not who we are. Rest in that today, that God can make you brand new. This is the Christ who implores us to come in. This is the Christ that I implore you to come unto. I encourage you to take time to get in the Word, see who God is. To read who, who He is, what He has done for you. I, I implore you to come unto Christ and be made whole. To repent of sin, to turn away from sin. And behold the glorious face of God who laid down His life for the sheep that went astray. Put your trust in that today. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.